everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, the weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. In this show, we'll help you learn and understand how your tank works and help you with your questions. Every week I'll bring you a topic on marine fish or reef keeping, and now, every, once a month, I'm going to bring you an interview with a columnist from reefkeeping.com. This week we're again joined by Stephen Pro. Stephen was on the show back in episode 19, talking about reef safe treatments. If you haven't heard that show yet, make sure you go back and check that out. For those that are new to the show or to the hobby, Stephen frequently writes articles for many organizations, most notably are those for ReefKeeping.com, which is where today's discussion is going to come from. In this month's ReefKeeping issue, Stephen wrote an article titled, Cyanide and its Unfortunate Use in the Industry. We're going to, go, we're going to discuss this article in more detail. Stephen, welcome back to the Talking Reef Podcast. Uh, thanks for having me back, Rob. Great. Now, this article that you wrote was actually your analysis of uh, multiple experiments done by other people and not your own, correct? Correct. Uh, this is more of a uh, literature review. I went out and I looked at the available uh, uh, articles and papers on the, the usage of cyanide in collecting marine ornamentals. Great, great. So, now, on that note, can you briefly highlight some of the experiments and testing that you reviewed and documented in your article? Okay. Well, the, the earliest one, um, as far as a, a, an experiment uh, was that I talked about, was in 1981 uh, by a guy named David Bellwood. And in that article, he exposed some uh, domino damsels uh, to cyanide. Uh, these were dominoes he got from East Africa, uh, where they don't really use cyanide. They were net caught. And he exposed them to cyanide and wanted to see what kind of long-term effects the cyanide had when you gave them enough to knock them out to catch them, but not enough to kill them outright. Um, and what he found is that the fish in his, in his study uh, ended up having this intestinal damage. Um, and from there, there was some earlier speculation um, that cyanide-caught fish did not feed properly or did not process food properly. Um, but this was one of the first experiments to, to kind of show that point. And from there, you know, the, the, the legend has grown that a, a fish that can survive the initial doses of cyanide um, is going to end up dying anyhow, basically starving to death because they're not able to assimilate the food. It was basically saying um, that it impacted their digestive tract? Yes. Yeah, that the cyanide... Uh, um, basically rip them up inside. Mm -hmm. and they, they might eat, uh, but wouldn't be able to properly, um, you know, break down the food and process it. Right, okay. So, but unfortunately there were some problems um, with this study. It was actually only, it, I'm using the term study, it wasn't, it wasn't a paper, it was an article. It was done in uh, uh, a magazine called Freshwater Marine Aquarium Magazine. Mm -hmm. And it's unclear whether or not he did a statistical analysis on his results, or not, um, or if he did, and the editors of the magazine simply edited it out. But there is no statistical analysis done, uh, and there's no actually even just numbers. It doesn't say how many fish he used um, in each study, how many fish were in the control study, or anything like that. So it's hard to really draw, you know, that, that many conclusions uh, from this one article. 
he also wrote an article that same year, the, I believe it was the month or two later, where he had another group of fish, uh, a different kind of damsel, and he exposed them to cyanide that was a radioactive isotope. And he was curious as to where the cyanide would go. Basically, he used it as a marker. He treated these fish with the cyanide, knocked them out again. They came to, but then he killed them and cropsied them and looked for where the cyanide accumulated. And they used and, that uh, radioactive isotope as a, a, a tracking so that during the later analysis it would stick out in testing, correct? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So part of the thing that he saw was that the, the fish with the full stomach concentrated most of the stomach in the cyanide. And then he later speculated that wild-caught fish, they were out in the oceans, um, eating, you know, grazing all the time would have a reasonably full stomach right. and that that would lead to even greater damage in the stomach and intestines mm -hmm. um, than, you know, uh, fish that he also had a couple starved fish. Um, again, the problem is, in this thing, he doesn't have a statistical analysis, but there's no way he could do a statistical analysis because he only had three fish. <laughs> he had two fish that he fed uh, and then treated with cyanide and one fish that he didn't treat uh, I'm sorry, one fish that he didn't feed and then treated with cyanide. So you can't really do a statistical analysis of, you know, of two fish and one fish, and he doesn't have any controls either. So the, so first, again, the it, first two that you went over, um, there were more of conclusions but totally lacked any, t any type of backing statistics on, on what was done. Uh, and the second one, basically, you know, from what you're saying, there wasn't enough test subjects involved to really come up with any, anything substantial. No, I mean, he, he couldn't do a, a statistical analysis on his thing. It's still interesting as to where the cyanide ended up, uh -huh. but he also didn't let it go for very long. Right. Um, you know, he, he, he treated them and then killed them. It would have been more interesting to see where the cyanide accumulated weeks later. You know, uh, more of a test of how fish would end up at your door. Right. You know, right. like, um, this would be, you know, what happens to them immediately after catching them. Uh, it, it would have been more interesting, I think, to see what happened to him weeks later. Which is so what's more important to... Present. Yeah, that's what's most important to uh, us as hobbyists. You know, what's going to happen to it when it gets into our tank, more so than what's exactly. going to happen to it an hour after it's it's been uh, treated with cyanide. Exactly. Yeah, so so uh, it, it's, still, it's still interesting, though, I think. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the other interesting parts was that of all the organs that he measured... The one that had the most cyanide in it was actually the brain. Uh, of of 33% of the cyanide that he found was in the brains of these fish. Mm -hmm. And he also theorized that you know a lot of fish that we believe are treated with cyanide behave abnormally, and that this may be part of that. Gotcha. That the cyanide might be damaging. You know, maybe may the fish may be getting brain damage right. from the cyanide, and. Uh, you know, that may account for some of this abnormal behavior. Gotcha. The next paper, and this is actually a paper scientific in a scientific journal, peer-reviewed, was by the same David Bellwood, uh, as well as a, a gentleman by the name of Hall. And this was a much larger study. They actually had 154 fish in this study, um, another type of damsel. They went out and collected themselves uh, off the Great Barrier Reef in Australia with barrier and hand nets. And they had... Um, a lot of different control groups. I mean, a lot of different groups in general. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, they had what they called a minimal handling control. These were fish that were put in tanks and not messed with at all. Then they had a handled control because what they do when they 
they treat these fish with cyanide they take them out and basically dip them in a cyanide solution. So these handled group were fish that were taken out and dipped, but just dipped in plain seawater and then put back. Just to create uh, the to stress situation? Yeah, to see if there was any associated stress with just handling the fish. Right. Then they had a cyanide-treated group. Uh, they also had a stress group uh, where these fish, they took out all the decorations in their tank um, every day uh, and just messed with them. <laughs> they, yeah, they also had the water a group and stuff, they, yeah. Yeah, they also had a group that they starved, um, and then they had combinations. They had cyanide and stress, cyanide starvation, stress and starvation, and finally cyanide stress and starvation all in one group. Mm -hmm. So they had a lot of different groups there. Actually, a very well-designed experiment. Yes, and this is actually the first one that you had documented in the article that was you know, very comprehensive and, and tried to tackle various possibilities. And the one thing that I uh, like seeing in this article was that they actually included the fact of, you know, stress could be an important factor here and that some of these fish may be dying just purely from stress as opposed to the cyanide or maybe it's only the stress on top of the cyanide that, that's affecting them. And that was pretty interesting. Exactly. Yeah, they wanted to look at, a, a, you know, a lot of other factors that could possibly be leading towards fish uh, um, mortality issues. Yes. So, um, like I said, really big group. Um, but, again, like some of the other ones, there's a couple problems with this one here. Uh, namely, the, the control groups. Um, the minimal handling control, 16.7% of the fish in that group died mm -hmm. of unknown causes. And the handled control group, 25% um, of those fish died of unknown causes. So very close. So kinda, yeah, and, and that kind of hurts the statistical analysis later on. Uh -huh. um, because what happens is, like, you have cyanide, 37.5% perished. Um, stress, 25% perished. Uh, that's similar to the handled control. Starved, none of those fish died. Cyanide and stress was 25%. Cyanide and starvation is 33.3%. So a lot of these numbers are pretty close. And what ends up happening is that the only one that was statistically significant uh, versus any of the other groups was stress and starvation. In that group, 66.7% of the fish died. No, that was no uh, cyanide in that one, correct? Just stress and starvation. And, and no cyanide in that group. So yes. it is kind of a, um, a strange paper. Yeah, very, very interesting. We're talking about in, in the cyanide group. The, the, the only really, the most important fact, though, that came out of this study was that the fish that were given cyanide, whether it was alone or in combination, none of those fish showed that intestinal damage that David Bellwood saw in his early paper in the FAMA article. Okay. So none of his fish that were treated with cyanide showed what the first group of fish showed. No, that is interesting. And, yeah, and what happened was, what, ha what he saw was that all the fish that were starved showed the same damage. Okay. So it's possible that what happened was the fish that, these fish, they collected themselves and started testing, you know, pretty quickly after, uh, collection. Uh -huh. The other fish they bought from a dealer, and it's routine for exporters not to feed fish for a couple days before shipping them off, uh. because you don't want them, get, you know, relieving themselves in the bags. That adds to mortality because they foul the water. Right, right. So they purge the fish for a couple days. It's also cheaper. Uh, if yeah, you don't have yes, to feed I would imagine. Fish, it's cheaper on your end. So it's quite possible that the intestinal damage that he saw 
in the early paint in the early article was actually from starvation done from the exporter that he bought the fish from gotcha. in East Africa, and not a product of the cyanide. He, basically, his later paper refutes his earlier article as far as the conclusions of, mm-hmm. about cyanide. Um, now, I don't mean to downplay that cyanide is not bad. In a lot of these papers uh, in, uh, in articles, um, they killed fish with cyanide exposure. Some of the fish failed to wake up at all after being exposed to cyanide. Right. Um, we just don't know what happens long term uh, to fish that are exposed to cyanide. When I was going through, more... the, I'm sorry. When I was going through these, it almost seemed like there was a, um, in some of the cases and some of the articles that you know that you had highlighted, it it, it almost seemed, and I I want to say this very you know lightly uh, and carefully, that it almost seemed that it was almost inconclusive that cyanide was a major contributor to the death of these fish. Yes and no. Um, we definitely know that cyanide does kill fish outright, right, right away. Yes. Uh, we don't, the problem is we don't know what happens if they initially survive the first exposure. Right, um, and that's what I was referring to, more so that, you know, uh, it, when hobbyists make the, the claim that, oh, my fish, you know, must have cyanide poison because it died two days after I came in my tank, which I think we're going to get into a little bit later. But um, it seems yeah. like so far in the articles that you've discussed that there, there's so far little proof as to the long-term effects of, of cyanide poisoning. Yeah, and there is, there's one more paper that talks a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. There was a paper in 98 done by several people, but it's a Hanawa et al. Um, but in, in that study, they did another big study, um, again, looking at a lot of different fish, um, exposing them to various levels of cyanide for various times and seeing what was happening. And again, they had some mortalities um, depending on dosage and exposure time. But the one thing that they found with fish, um, even two and a half weeks after the initial exposure, fish that survived the cyanide treatment had a liver oxygen consumption rate that was higher than normal. Um, As to what that means, they don't know. And they even say that this needs to be looked at further. Uh, We don't know what exactly that means. They also found that fish that survived a cyanide exposure in one group, uh, for a set concentration at a set time, if you take those same fish and put them in a plastic bag, I think it was for 10 minutes, those fish perished. Uh, some of those fish perished. So the additional stress of being put in a bag affected those fish. Right. So, well, again, we're not quite certain what cyanide is doing long-term, but it does seem to have some sort of effect. Yeah, uh, what that is exactly, they don't quite know. Right, and when topped with stress, really increases the the chances for mortality. Yes. So those were all the papers that I reviewed that dealt with fish. Uh, And while they're somewhat, you know, unconclusive and maybe a little bit controversial, the ones on corals are actually all very similar. I looked at three papers, and they were all about the same. Cyanide kills corals, kills anemones. It just depends on the concentration and the exposure time. Yes. Now, and, uh, to mention the, the concentration and the exposure time, um, that was one of the things that you found interesting was the inconsistencies in a lot of these experiments. Um, yeah. Can you take a minute yeah. and explain how these inconsistencies would affect um, our overall knowledge on how cyanide really affects fish? Yeah, and part of that is because we're not really sure exactly how much cyanide the collectors are using. You know, number one, cyanide collection is illegal everywhere. Nowhere is it legal. So everywhere it's done, you know, they probably don't do it 
out in the open. It's, they're probably a little bit quiet about it. Right. Uh, don't want people to see that they're doing it. <laughs> there is one uh, paper that I found where they actually um, were doing some testing out of the reefs, and they ended up finding some cyanide divers, and they confiscated their bottles. And when they confiscated their bottles, they sent them off to be tested. And the concentrations in the bottles, they found range from 760 parts per million all the way up to a little over 2,000 parts per million. So in the four bottles that they found, the range of the cyanide concentration in the bottles was varied by, by a pretty good, pretty good amount. Also, too... Once it comes out of the bottle and squirts, it begins to mix into the ocean, additionally changing the concentration. So we're never quite sure what uh, concentration the fish and the corals are going to be exposed to uh, because it's going to vary. You know, in this one collector or this one group of collectors that they grabbed their bottles, they found various concentrations. Plus, it's going to depend on how much they squirt out, uh, you know, the currents, where they squirt, you know. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of variables there. But uh, what was interesting is that in the, the, the papers and the articles out there, people use as low as one part per million um, as far as the concentration of cyanide all the way up to, to 5,200 5, parts per million and all various levels in between there to do their testing. So you know, th there are some people that have pointed to you know, these inconsistencies in these experiments, um, but there, there are some... I guess overlap in that you know corals die even at low concentrations, even at 50 parts per million concentrations, and fish also died at those same concentrations. And when you look at how long it took fish to be knocked out under the various concentrations, somewhere in that overlapping window seems to be about the right time if you look at it logically. Like you know, at a low of one part per million, it took two to three minutes to knock out a fish. Right. Which seems like an awfully long time to try and squirt to catch one fish. Right, so your collectors uh, whereas, are going to you know, use a lot more. Some fish were knocked out in as little as 10 seconds. Yeah. And that makes a little bit more sense. And as, as a collector, you're not going to want to wait 10 minutes for your exactly. fish to be knocked out. Yeah, and even trying to maintain a concentration, uh, you know, for an extended period of time underwater might be difficult. Yeah. Um, so there is some overlap there, and it's a little bit easier when you take a look at these numbers in the in the charts with the accompanying article to, to kind of see those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But you also mentioned about a hobbyist talking about their fish and said, well, he died two days later. He right. must have been cyanide caught. And I do talk a little bit about that in my article because uh, collection locale is extremely important uh, when you're selecting fish and trying to avoid ones that have been caught with cyanide because I've seen that come out. You know, this fish must have been caught with cyanide. And you ask them, well, what kind of fish was it? And they say, well, it's a, a Hawaiian yellow tank. Well, no one uses cyanide in Hawaii, so it's a, it's a ridiculous assertion that, that it was a cyanide-caught fish. You know, yes. fish died from unknown reasons. I don't know why. It could have been a lot of different things. But a lot of people tend to blame cyanide uh, when they don't know what the real reason is, it's sort of like a scapegoat. Right, right. Now, in in just a minute, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a couple more questions regarding hobbyists and how we can protect ourselves and so forth. Um, but one thing that I did wanted to bring up, and I, it's something that you have already uh, alluded to, uh, is right now it seems like a lot of these studies, most of these studies, except for the one, really all concentrated on uh, the different effects on on the fish. 
and mm-hmm. you know even though we've seen mixed results and you know varying testing and stuff like that one thing one thing that uh, I noticed was that the impact on coral was quite dramatic even at uh, low concentrations on coral and anemones it seemed to be extremely extremely serious and uh, almost you know sure assured mortality rate yes it is quite detrimental on the corals you know the fish are trying to hide in and even you know sometimes they put pretty high concentration rates on some of these corals but even at relatively low concentrations like 50 parts per million they still saw significant mortality in a lot of the corals that they tested so even more so than it affecting the fish uh, it's it's going to be affecting the corals extremely, and especially since they're not in a position where they can, you know, swim away or whatever, and they've got to rely on just the currents to, to flush it away too. Yeah, and long term that affects everything. I mean, you know, killing the corals affects the fish because there's no more habitat. Right. The corals get destroyed. Uh, the reefs get destroyed. Um, it, it's a it's a snowball effect. You know, so. It, it is a, it is a despicable practice, even though we don't know exactly why um, or or if fish have long term consequences if they survive the initial exposure. It's just a, a, a horrible practice that should not be encouraged, and and hobbies should definitely be making sure that their their dollars do not go and feed the cyanide industry and feed people going out and, and, and doing the kind of damage that they're doing. Right. Now, based on this analysis that you've, you've done here in this article that you wrote, um, is there anything that you walked away and anything that you put in your article for your readers to walk away and for the listeners of the show to walk away with um, that c- kind of would stand up and say, this is what we absolutely do know about cyanide use um, in fish? I mean, we already discussed it. It's pretty... Um, we're pretty sure that it has, you know, major uh, mortality rates against coral. But is there anything for sure that we can take away regarding uh, its effect on fish? Well, we do know for sure it does kill fish outright, depending on the concentration. So some fish that are, you know, they they also use cyanide for the live fish food industry. When you ship off uh, large wrasses and large groupers, uh, uh-huh. predominantly in places like Hong Kong for aquariums that they then, you know, people point at like, uh, you know, you would at the lobster, at the red lobster restaurant, uh, and say, I want that guy to eat. Uh, they do the same kind of thing with fish. Okay. And if they give them too much, they kill them outright. <laughs> but they go ahead and then send them off to the, you know, the, the fish market to be eaten locally. Oh, lovely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we, we do know it does kill fish, you know, initially, it, depending, again, on the concentration and the exposure time. And, you know, there, there's no consistent way for people to be measuring uh, the concentration of the exposure time out on the reefs. Uh, so we do know it is detrimental, you know, all around, both the fish and the corals. Hopefully we can, uh, as hobbyists, help to, you know, prevent this from going on. And um, as a final thing uh, for this, something I'd like to have you explain, if possible, is how hobbyists, uh, such as myself and the listeners to the show, uh, you know how that people often misdiagnose uh, sick fish as you know being cyanide poison, and often blindly blame cyanide for fatality or sicknesses. And um, how we as hobbyists can protect ourselves from acquiring fish that might have been caught using cyanide. Well, the first thing you can do is find out the collection locale of any fish you're looking to buy. Um, cyanide is predominantly used in, the, in 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 parts of the Philippines and Indonesia. Um, also. 
some other smaller collection places like Vietnam, you'll sometimes see fish coming from there, mm -hmm. Cambodia, Thailand, the Maldives, um, a couple other places. But generally, most of the fish that you will see available at our local fish store that potentially could be caught with cyanide will be coming out of the Philippines and Indonesia. So know that off the bat. Now, um, is there yeah. any way that you can, you know, working with <coughs> the, the person at your, your fish store, uh, would they be able to tell you where these fish came from? They should be able to tell you in most situations. Um, and if they can't, a lot of times, the easiest way to explain this is that, you know, if you look at the stock list, there will be fish that will tell you the location that they come from. Uh, and there will be fish that aren't. They're just the generic fish. The ones that they're telling you the location, it's because it's from a better location, a place not known for cyanide, a place known for a little bit better husbandry, mm -hmm. uh, shipping practices, things like that. And it's a selling point. That fish is going to cost a little bit more money right. than the generic no-location fish. Right. Um, so spend that little bit of extra money um, and get a fish that you know is from a, a safe place that you know has better practices than other parts of the world. The other thing you can do, there are some, and these aren't set in stone. These are just things that, you know, aquarium lore, I guess, would be a, a uh -huh. decent term. Things that we believe could be true, um, that cyanide fish do seem to behave abnormally. They don't uh, interact uh, with other fish. They don't, uh, they look dazed and confused. Um, they sort of stare off in the distance, things like that. Okay. Um, also, they tend, again, uh, another belief uh, common belief out there is that fish that have been cyanide caught seem to actually look really good as far as color and appearance. Okay. Uh, for whatever reason, they seem to be more vivid, uh, more bold uh, than regular fish. Um, again, it's just a you know a thing that we believe is true. There there aren't uh -huh. any you know uh, scientific studies on that. So, but generally, the easiest thing is just to avoid. Uh, fish uh, from the Philippines, Indonesia, or from unknown origins, unless they are guaranteeing you that they are net caught. Mm -hmm. And there are certain organizations that are working with certain parts of the world uh, to to get the divers to collect with nets, uh, to hold them a little bit better, to ship them a little bit better, and are working on those uh, issues. Right. And unless now, they can tell you that, my best advice is to avoid those places. Okay, so so really the best thing, I mean, from what I what I hear, there's no surefire way to know by looking at you know the fish when you're in the in the fish store to be able to determine whether no. it's been people, it's been. There, there have been people that have worked on a test to determine if a fish has been treated with cyanide, um, but to the best of my knowledge, I don't believe that any of those are in practice. There's also some controversy as to whether or not they are are reliably accurate. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I I try and stay out of most of those discussions because they can get quite uh, um, ugly. Uh, right. Yeah. And the like one thing that I want to—I'm uh, sorry. The one thing that I wanted to, you know, make sure that we're we're keeping to uh, the facts and stuff like that. And as far as the mm -hmm. facts are concerned, there there doesn't seem to be any surefire, absolutely factual way to determine that. Other than, um, like you said, making sure that you know where the fish came from. Of course, if it came yeah. from Hawaii. You know, a place that we know cyanide catching isn't used, then you got a real good chance that you're going to have a, a, a fish that was not caught using cyanide. Yes. Yeah, there, there are certain parts of the world that are not known for cyanide and, and, and don't use that. Although there are places that, you know, might use other things. You know, there, there are dr other drugs that people have used to catch fish, like MS-222, 
Um, I've even heard of people using bleach and some other uh, things, uh, herbal uh, tree extracts and things like that to mm. knock out fish. Uh, but they don't seem to be as prevalent as at least cyanide is. Gotcha. Well, um, I think that pretty much wraps up most of the questions that we had regarding the article that you wrote. Uh, do you have any uh, closing words or anything that you'd like to add about this? Uh, well, I guess my, my biggest point is, you know, um, we're going to have to spend a little bit more money. Um, you know, <laughs> the cheapest fish are not always the best, or right. at least the best environmentally uh, environmental choice. Yes. So um, be prepared to spend a little bit money. And in the larger picture, um, if it takes $50 to buy, you know, your flame angel and get a healthy one versus buying two or three $20 uh, flame angels uh, before you get a healthy one, one to survive, uh, you're probably better off just spending the $50 outright in the first place. Yep, in the long uh, run, it's probably going to save it, you money. Yeah, could very well could save you money, and it's, it's the better environmentally environmental choice as well. So buy from reputable dealers. Make sure that you do what you can to find out where the fish came from. Um, and also, you know, something that I stress on the show a lot is do your homework, you know, before you go out and get the fish and know where the fish is naturally from. Uh, that way you know yeah. the location. And in yeah. your article, you actually, uh, which people can see w when that's posted at reefkeeping.com, you actually have a couple links to some websites that actually have classifications of where fish are come from and I think some information uh, about that type of stuff. Yes, because uh, I've been in stores where they've claimed certain fish are from certain areas. I, I recall seeing a, um, a powder brown tang uh, that was claimed to be from Hawaii, but it was the wrong powder brown brown tang. Gotcha. Uh, there are two powder browns, the Japaniscus and the Nigrans, and the Nigrans um, comes from Hawaii, but this was a Japaniscus that they had labeled, and, uh, you know, it, it's a innocuous mistake. Uh -huh. uh, basically, the, the, whole, the, the retailer probably ordered a Hawaiian powder brown, and instead of getting the Nigrans, he got the Japaniscus, because the wholesaler didn't have any of the ones that he wanted, and he just gave them a similar fish and said this you know, will do. To fill up the box. Yes. So, so it's probably up no to, one, you know, noticed. Yeah, so it's but up to the hobbyists to be, you know, in the hobbyists to be informed about what they're getting, um, to make sure that they're questioning uh, the fish at the local fish store, make sure that they keep them honest and make sure that they keep them informed and make sure that they're asking and such. Exactly. An informed consumer is the, is the best thing for this hobby. Yeah, and that's, you know, and I, the last show that I did, I, I, I think was probably the, the show that I stressed that the most on. It was what I was kind of talking a lot about, you know, different types of stony coral and, and stuff like that. And I think one of the, the most important things that I stressed throughout the, you know, all the different episodes is, you know, before you go out to the local fish store, have some kind of idea of what you want to get and make sure that you do your homework on it. You know, under, understand its needs and stuff like that. Now, and the one other thing that uh, hasn't come up regarding preventing, you know, cyanide-affected fish or poisoned fish is, you know, purchasing tank-raised tank raised fish. Absolutely. There's no no way they were cyanide caught. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, they, they, are, they are a good choice, absolutely. Now, uh, you know, unfortunately... And it's another instance where it's probably worthwhile to spend a little bit extra money yes. and get a tank-raised fish. Um, yes. You know, particularly something like the Bangai Cardinal fish, mm -hmm. uh, where wild-caught ones have a really horrible reputation, uh, whereas tank-raised ones are, are very tough fish. Yes. Um, 
and, and reasonably prolific. Uh, you may not be able to always find them at your local fish store, but a lot of times local other local hobbyists are trading them or selling them or, you mm-hmm. know, it's another fish that you can find if you're willing to look harder. Yes. Now, uh, one thing that I, you know, that we, a lot of us already know is that, you know, unfortunately in the marine aquarium hobby, a lot of the fish aren't able to be tank raised. Um, but when you have the option to get a tank raised fish, you know, something, you know, the same thing that I've I've said with coral too is, you know, try to get, you know, cultured coral or, or something that came from, you know, frags from other people's, other people's coral and stuff like that. And the same goes with fish. Um, they usually do better in captive environments and you don't have to worry about the cyanide. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Always the best choice. Yes. So, Stephen, I thank you for taking your time to uh, join us on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be talking to you again in the near future uh, with all the, the yeah, stuff going uh, on with reef keeping. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad this is, uh, you know, I'm glad for the co-promotion. I think this is an excellent idea for both, uh, reef keeping and uh, talking reef, and uh, I'm glad I could be a part of it. Excellent. Well, enjoy the rest of your evening, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I'll see you later. Thanks. Bye. I know this topic may be controversial to a lot of people, so if you have any questions regarding this, make sure you take the time to read the original article by Stephen over at reefkeeping.com. There will be a link to it in the show notes. And if you do have further questions after looking over this or looking for further clarification, please feel free to post any comments or questions in the Talking Reef forums under the podcast feedback. I'm sure Stephen will keep an eye on this forums, and if he misses anything, I'll be sure to let him know so he can comment on it. Again, it's important to understand that Stephen was very diligent in his research, so be respectful when commenting on this article. He's a great guy, and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to give you the best and most honest answer possible. Now, another thing real quick, uh, contest voting is now occurring. So for the current contest, make sure you head over to the Talking Reef forums and cast your vote on that. There's also a new poll on the homepage of the website. I am interested to see how many people are listening to the show directly from the website or how, versus how many people actually download the show uh, through or actually get it through the subscription. Uh, so how many people actually subscribe to the show. Uh, hopefully many of you or most of you are actually subscribing to the feed, uh, but I'm curious, so uh, if you could take a moment and head over and vote on that poll. Again, it's right on the homepage. Uh, just another reminder, I'm looking for some feedback regarding uh, a tank, the Tank of the Month idea that I mentioned last week about doing a Tank of the Month contest and stuff like that every month. So if you have any comments or suggestions, please let me know. And if you do have any comments or questions regarding this or any other topic on our show, you can send them to me via email at podcast at talkingreef.com, or you can call the voicemail hotline with your comments, questions, or introductions to the show. And the number to that is area code 586-486-3357, or for free, you can call in using Skype, and our name Skype name is Talking Reef. And just a couple more real quick things. Make sure you visit our Frapper map. Uh, link to that is on the home page on the left-hand menu about halfway down. And visit that and place a pin in the map to mark your location of where you're listening from. And uh, don't forget to check out our friendly and helpful discussion forums if you've got any questions or comments. And finally, if you've enjoyed the show and find it valuable, uh, please consider helping it out by uh, spreading the word if you can, to other forums and other discussion boards that you're in. And consider making a donation by visiting the donate button at TalkingReef.com. 
thank you, happy reefing, and I will talk to you all next week. Good night. <laughs>